welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. My name is Amy. I'm on staff here, and it's so great to be with you guys. I'm excited and humbled to share with you tonight about Good Friday. And what's interesting about today is that we have to go through Good Friday to get to Easter. In order for us to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we also have to celebrate and reflect on his death on the cross. So on Good Friday, over 2,000 years ago, Jesus died on a cross. And what's important to know about a cross is before it was a tattoo or a piece of jewelry or a symbol of sacrificial love, the cross was a Roman execution device. It was a notorious way to die a punishment, a curse, an ultimate sign of defeat. And as we read, as Faith read in Luke 23 during worship, Jesus was brutally killed and died in extreme pain as he died on the cross for us. And so tonight we gather to reflect on the cross, what it means to us individually and corporately, and why Jesus willingly chose to die. In the book, Renovation of the Heart, uh, thanks to Darren, we're all big fans of Dallas Willard. Um, Dallas Willard writes this, the cross presents the lostness of man as well as the sacrifice of God and the abandonment to God that brings redemption. No doubt it is the all-time most powerful image and symbol in human history. The most powerful symbol or image in human history. That's a pretty bold statement. So why is the cross the most powerful symbol? Well, to understand, we have to start at the beginning in Genesis 1. And in the beginning in Genesis 1, we read that we were created by God, that we were created by him to be in relationship with him, to be in right relationship with ourselves and others. But just a few chapters into Genesis, we see that we totally missed it. We as humans miss it and we turn our backs against God and say we want to do life our own way, on our own terms. In the book of Romans, we read that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the word sin here is an archery term. Maybe some of you know this. I take kids to summer camp every year and at most all of them there's archery, the bow and arrow and you're aiming for the target. Well, sin, it's an archery term for missing the mark. So we're aiming for a bullseye but we miss. That's a sin. On your worst day, you sin. On your best day, you sin. We miss it. We were designed to rule and reign and partner with God, but we gave up that power and authority to the enemy. And we feel the effects of sin all around us. I feel like I don't have to spend too much time here because we can see it. You just have to go on your phone, open up Twitter, and scroll through the feed, and you see the consequences of sin and our choices. Um, You could watch the daily news and get a pretty good picture of what sin does to the world. You can just look into your own heart and probably see the effects of sin and the sins of others around you. This week, I was reminded of my sin a lot as I had to write about sin. (laughs) It's great. Thanks, Jesus. No, but it was really good because I need a savior. Um, But I was reminded of all the brokenness in my life and in my family Generations of addiction, fathers leaving, divorce. I'm getting my big girl voice. (laughs) As a kid, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. We moved a ton. My mom remarried multiple times. My sister in and out of juvie. 
things were pretty hectic. So I see how my sin and the sins of others separated me from God. But not just then, now too, in daily moments, I see how my anger comes up. Um, If you're doing the Lent fast, uh, one day a week, we're fasting for 24 hours, and I'm literally fasting and worshiping in my car, meditating on Romans, and someone cuts me off, and I honk, and I explode. Literally, as I'm saying, like, there is no condemnation for those, except that guy, uh, because he totally messed me up. Uh, I think I was on my way to youth group. Sorry, guys. (laughs) Um, I see my selfishness when I put my preferences above my husband's or above my friend's when I want things my way. My pride, even feeling so anxious to speak right now because I care what you beautiful people think of me. Um, And then a wonderful friend reminded me that it has nothing to do with me, so it's fine. (laughs) Um, Unforgiveness came up that I thought I had handled, things with my parents or family. As many of you know, I work with teens in the city. And I see the effects of sin in their lives all the time. The stats of divorce and anxiety are at an all-time high in society. In our youth group alone right now, we're walking with teens experiencing depression, violence, poverty, insecurity. I think even now in your hearts and minds, you're seeing and thinking of the effects of sin. It's pretty clear that something's off. It's not as it should be. Humanity is searching for something or someone to fix us, to heal us. In Romans, we also see that Paul writes that the punishment of sin is death. And it's interesting that he uses the word wages here, the wages of sin. All throughout Paul's letters to the church, he uses words like wages and debt to describe sin, which was probably really helpful for the early church because they were the only ones that struggled with debt, right? Probably not. Unfortunately, we too are familiar with debt, the concept of debt and owing people something. A recent survey I read stated that the average American household has $38,000 of debt, excluding their their mortgage, if they own their own home. Feel no need to raise your hand here, but I'm sure you're thinking about debt right now, your debt. Have you ever owed a large amount of money to someone or owed someone something? Yeah, I have. (laughs) Have you ever been limited or burdened by that debt? feeling like there's no way in heck you're going to be able to pay it off. We're launching FPU in a couple weeks. Talk to Faith. Okay. I have, you guys, it's bad. I've overspent and charged things when I shouldn't have and then tried to, like, keep it quiet from my husband so he didn't know about it, right? But it's funny, but it's not because then I'm trapped with, like, guilt and distraction, feeling unworthy, Uh, like labeling myself as unworthy, and then I feel like I have to hide it. I can't tell them. Got to hide it. Um, So then we're stuck in hiding to hide our debt. It can feel heavy and like there's no way out. And then for those of you that have experienced debt, have you ever tried to fix it on your own? And just like, you know, you're cranking the numbers and the spreadsheets just trying to fix it. Well, what if someone tonight wrote you a check for all your debt? Average being $38,000. So someone just fills in your bank, $38,000 check to pay off your debt. That would be amazing. You would walk out of here differently. You would live differently, and you would probably spend your money, hopefully, differently. Fear keeps us um, from naming our debt. 
like for me, when I felt like I had to hide some of my purchases, it was like out of fear that my husband was going to get really mad at me. And he did get kind of upset with me. But when I told him about my charges, I was met with kindness. He's way kinder than me. I was met with kindness, with understanding, with love and forgiveness. As I was writing this, I realized sin is a lot like debt. Statistically, we all have it, and yet we don't like to talk about it. It feels heavy, and we're burdened by it. Paul uses this language of wages and debt to help us understand that we are indebted to God, that we have a spiritual debt, that we are in over our heads in, and that like our financial debt, we're often left trying to fix it on our own. But the consequences for the spiritual debt is sin. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. So that weight you're carrying right now, the anger, the past mistakes, the most recent time you lost your temper at someone, the lust, the depression, anxiety, the violence, the addiction, the broken families, and the state of our city. But this is known as Good Friday. So why is it good? Why does she keep talking about sin and how messed up the world is? Well, in Colossians 2, we read this. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He's taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authority, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them with the cross. What this verse is saying is we are dead in our sins. We have debt. But God has chosen through the sacrifice on the cross to cancel the charge of our legal indebtedness. He canceled the debt. He wrote the check. He paid the full price. He took on our brokenness on the cross, bore our shame, and died for our sin. It's very clear we need Jesus. Jesus took on our sin and paid our debt. I believe as humans, our deepest need is a spiritual need that can only be met by the love of God. To be human means to be in relationship with God. In order for us to be in a right relationship with God, sin needed to be defeated, and we could not fix it on our own. Only Jesus, God himself, by dying on the cross, could make a way. And it was out of his love for us and desire to be with us that he sent Jesus. In John 10.10, we read, Jesus said he came so that we may have life and have life to the fullest. Life the way it was meant to be. What is life? Life to the full the way it was meant to be. Well, it's Genesis 1 and 2. In the beginning, men and women walking with God in right relationship with God, living in peace with themselves and others. No shame, no guilt, no hiding, no sin, no debt. The cross, Jesus dying on the cross, represents that God chose to cancel our debt. I have debt. A little financially, but a lot spiritually. I wrote it out. And you can see my debt of anger, greed, jealousy, insecurity, hate towards others. Sorry, guys. Selfish ambition, unforgiveness, taking shortcuts, pride. But what Jesus did on the cross, what we read in Colossians, was that this debt that I racked up, that he canceled on the cross. And this what stood against me, this what condemned me, where I was deserving of wrath and death, 
he nailed to the cross. And paid my debt because of his love for me. And I just love that. And I know that many of you, all of you, (laughs) have the same debt as me. And what I want you to do now is to take a minute, and I know a lot of you came with families or friends or significant ones, um, and you guys can do this together. But there's pens and papers all over the room, and you can take that bucket and grab a pen and a paper, and like me, you can confess your sin, write out your debt, and then with confidence, you can go and take it up to the cross, nail it to the cross, And I hope that every time you hear the hammer touch the nail, that you are reminded and that we are proclaiming that through the death of Jesus, we are given life. I'm going to pray, and then I do hope that each of you would take time to reflect on this. And we're going to continue to worship, and I'll be back up in a few minutes. Jesus, I thank you so much for your love and for your sacrifice on the cross. Thank you for choosing to cancel my debt so that I can enter into a relationship with you. God, we just confess our sin and we confess our need for a savior. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. So I asked earlier tonight, why is the cross the most powerful image? And the answer I came up with was simple, but so complex. Uh, Because of love. Um, Because it represents love. Love in, like, the purest form. Uh, Jesus himself said there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for his friend. The ultimate display of who God is is found in the person of Jesus, who chose willingly to die on the cross. And the cross is the most beautiful picture of sacrificial love. Not just the I love Chipotle burritos kind of love, or I love puppies, or ice cream now that the fast is over. (sighs) I can have my ice cream. Um, No, the cross is the ultimate picture of love. And we don't see this type of love often. And so, like, when we hear of stories of sacrificial love, we're, like, moved from the inside. Like, it's a part of our DNA. I know there's so many parents here in this room, and I've just, I know the amount of love and sacrificial love it takes to be a parent, to put your uh, child's needs above your own, is so beautiful. And God sacrificed his only son so that we can be free, free from sin. Ephesians says abundantly free. And it was his blood on the cross that set us free. In Ephesians, in chapter 2, verse 1 through 10, it's kind of long, going to do the best I can through it, but it's so good. Paul writes to the church, um, I think we have it up there for you. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in our sins, it is by grace you have been saved. And it goes on, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. 
It is not from yourself. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works that God prepared in advance for us to do. There's a lot there, but what I want to talk about is the kind of the beginning and the end of what Paul is saying here. He describes in detail how we were dead, dead in our sins, spiritually dead, defined by sin, deserving of wrath. But then there's this beautiful three-letter word, but. But because of God's great love for us, we've been saved by grace. And what grace means is that it was undeserved, that God's love, him canceling our debt, was not because we earned it, or because we're really, really good. (laughs) There was nothing we did to receive it on our own. There's nothing you can do to lose his love. And what I wanna talk about now is it's one thing to like write our sin on a piece of paper and nail it to the cross. But do you know that whatever was on that piece of paper you nailed to the cross has been forgiven and that you are free from that? Do you believe that, like the corest of who you are? And we're reflecting even today, maybe the things that you didn't even want to write. Like there were things that you were honestly too embarrassed to even write or to name that came through your mind while you were reflecting during worship. Do you trust that God loves you even knowing that? At the core of your being, do you know that you are deeply loved by the God of the universe? I'm a big Brennan Manning fan, and he once said that God is saying to you, I dare you to trust that I love you just as you are and not as you should be because no one is as they should be. The God who created you knows everything about you, but yet he's so in love with you. And it was his deep love for us that led him to the cross. And while he was hanging on the cross, he was declaring that he loves you, that you are worth dying for. It's here in Ephesians that Paul goes on to say that we're actually God's handiwork. And I love this. It's better translated his masterpiece, created in him to do great things. And I I love this verse, and I never noticed that it was here in Ephesians when Paul's writing about how we were dead and now we're alive, that it's here that he says that we are his masterpiece. And what this means to me, what God was speaking to me this week was that we are more than just forgiven, We're more than just brought from death to life. But it says that we are his masterpiece created to do good works, to bring his kingdom here to Long Beach. God's redeeming love doesn't just take us from death to life. His redeeming love takes us from death to purpose, that we now have a purpose in Christ. We were created to be in relationship with God, to rule and reign with him. And so through the death of Jesus and the resurrection that we get to celebrate on Sunday, big party, Jesus disarmed the powers of darkness and took back all authority. And we can now be in relationship with God to rule and reign as we were created to be. Because of God's love for me, the things that were on my paper are not just forgiven, they can be redeemed. They are redeemed. My story is forever changed. So I moved from an identity of a young girl who identified as fatherless, alone, rebellious, full of anger. I moved from from being full of anger, yep, said that, to forgiven, (laughs) amen. But more than that, an identity rooted in his love. So God didn't just take me from death to life. 
He didn't just free me from my sin, which that I am so thankful for, but he actually says I'm his masterpiece now created to do great works in him. That God would be so kind that now I get to speak life and encouragement into the lives of young people. Young people who too, too many of them are fatherless, rebellious, and alone, like I was. And that's the God that we have. That's how kind he is. That he doesn't just forgive us of our sins but, and frees us from those sins, but then he redeems it. He will redeem every part of your story. Every sin that you nail to that cross, he will redeem and use for his glory. That is the power of the cross. That is what we get to celebrate. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit who gives life that we can experience that transformation. So anger can be transformed into forgiveness, hate and judgment into compassion, anxiety into peace, envy and selfishness that was nailed there can be transformed into generosity, abundant generosity. Loneliness can be transformed into life lived in community. And there's freedom for the addicted, hope for the hurting, and healing for the sick, all in Jesus. And what I'm wrestling with is that there's friends and family and a city who are in need of God's love and redemption. There's a city who's in need of a church full of people who live out of the identity that they are loved by the Father. A church who walks in the authority of Jesus and brings his way of life everywhere they go. And so we're going to continue to worship, but what I want you to know is when we leave here tonight, although this is heavy and solemn and a time to reflect on Jesus' death, we do not leave with heads hung low or full of sorrow. We leave full of God's love, his grace, and his forgiveness. We are called to bring his love everywhere we go. And because of the cross, because of the Holy Spirit, we can extend God's peace and partner with him as we were intended to in Genesis 1 to rule and reign as sons and daughters of the King. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit garden.church.